And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, it is so good to have you here this morning. And I just want to really quick, I know they've already said this in some of the pre-service announcements and that sort of thing, but um, man, I just want to say thank you already for... uh, your willingness to help us out with the craziness of going to four services is going to be awesome. Uh, and when I say awesome, I'm saying that just because we're going to have the opportunity to reach more and more people for Jesus. And man, I just had the, the, the chance at the, at the end of our, our first service to, to pray with someone, to, uh, they're the responding to the, the gospel. That just fires me up. And I have a feeling that God's going to continue to do his work. And so I would say, be thinking about what service you're going to go to, figure it out, figure it out. And I would even say this, you know, the nice thing about four services is you can attend one and you can serve at one. So get in the game. You know what? This church needs more than your rear end sitting in a seat, man. You can make a difference. And so I want to thank you in advance for how you're going to let God use you. It's so good to have you here today. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Now, my, uh, I have this weird problem um, that maybe some of you struggle with, and that is when I go to look for something, it can be right in front of my face and I can miss it. Anybody else ever struggle with that? Anybody? Oh, you bunch of liars, get your hands up. I know, I know you're with this. There's a lot of you that have been there. And, and there are times I'll go into the pantry and I, I'll be moaning and groaning like, Lori, what happened to all the Ritz crackers? We, we, had, we had a whole box and it's nowhere to be found. And she walks in and smart look as she is, says it's right there in front of you. And, and, and so I apparently have passed this on to my kids. They do the same thing. And, and there it's finally got to the place where my wife, she just apparently sees that look in my eye or the confused expression on me, my face. And she asks the question, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? She knows she's gonna have to step in and help this poor helpless guy out. Here's the deal. I, I was thinking about that this this week as I was preparing for this message, what is God looking for? Because actually scripture says that he's looking for something. I I would actually, you know, we could take time. Actually, he's looking for a a few things, but specifically there's something we're going to look at this morning that he is looking for. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different because we're going to be talking about the heart. And... um, you know, I could have gone to any of the classic scripture passages on the heart. You know, for instance, Ezekiel chapter 36, he'll take out the heart of stone, give us a heart of flesh. I thought about, I th- I thought about that as we're talking about this radical renovation. You know, we, we know Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. Or, or even Ephesians 1.18, where there's the prayer that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. But I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to go to the Old Testament and, and it's gonna be very unique because there's something that I want us to understand about the heart this morning. Now, to, to set this up, I've, I've gotta provide a little context because I'm gonna share uh, a story about uh, a guy that I've been resonating with over the last few years. I, I, I read, you know how you read something and it just doesn't stick? I've read through the Bible, I don't know how many times and missed the story, but about three years ago, it just jumped out at me and I haven't been able to get away from it. It's, it's, it's about a guy by the name of Asa, King Asa. To give you a little context, after King Solomon died, um, the next several decades were not good decades for Israel. They were marked by civil unrest, civil war. Um, in fact, it, it resulted in 
the kingdom splitting. There was the northern kingdom, which if you read through the Old Testament is either referred to as Israel after the reign of Solomon, or sometimes they'll refer to it as Ephraim. That was the primary tribe. That was the northern kingdom. And then there was a southern kingdom made up of, of, of Judah and uh, a big part of the tribe of, of Benjamin. And normally the southern kingdom is referred to just as, as Judah. So, so we, we've had this, we've had this, this separation that's taken place. And, and it's really sad because within two generations of, of, of Solomon being on the throne, literally things have shifted. Israel has gone from prosperity to actually perversion. They are marked by some really, really dark things. Um, in fact, most of Israel has turned from the Lord. Idols are popping up. They're, 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 they're now known for worshiping idols. And it's in this context that Asa comes to the throne in Judah. Now, when, when Asa comes to the throne, um, he begins to clean house. He tears down idols. He begins to tear down the altars that people have, have built toward idols. He obeys God. And, and you see, as if you study through, uh, you know, through the Kings and through the Chronicles account of Asa's life, that the God honors his obedience. In fact, Judah, in this time of chaos, there's a season into which they're given peace. And during this time of peace, Judah begins to build and, 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 and they begin to prosper. But 10 years into King Asa's reign, uh, the, the, two, the, the two nations of Ethiopia and Libya come against the southern kingdom of Judah and attack them. And in 2 Chronicles 14, uh, you, you'll see that when this happened, Asa immediately, his heart is toward God. He immediately turns toward God, cries out to God, and we see that God delivers him. In fact, verse 12 of chapter 14 says, So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. It's a direct response to Asa crying out to him. Now, you keep, you keep reading. Um, you, you, you'll see, in fact, go over to chapter 15. God is so pleased with, with Asa and his life and, and his obedience. He, he begins to honor him. He, in fact, sends a prophet to him with a message. And, and we see this in, in verse 2 of chapter 15. Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. Interesting how he puts it. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse seven, God, God said, but you take courage. He's talking to Asa. Let not your hands be weak for your work shall be rewarded. And if you continue to read through chapter 15, Asa just continues to do what he did. He, he tears down more idols. He repairs the altar of the Lord in the temple. There are, uh, there are great, great things. He, in fact, he leads all of the southern kingdom, Judah, into making a covenant uh, uh, with God, promising their faithfulness to him. In fact, you know revival's happening because he actually made his mother step down as queen because she was an evil lady. And I'm gonna tell you right now, when revival happens, that's the only way it's gonna make you challenge your mama and you make her step down because you know if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy, but he just does what he has to do and he does the right thing and God rewards him. God blesses him. And then we find this interesting verse describing Asa in verse 17 of chapter 15. It says that his heart, talking about Asa, his heart was wholly true. That's, that's so beautiful. His heart was holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. His heart was wholly true. Man, what a, what a way to be described as a person whose heart 
is holy true. And the result, God's blessing, God's strength, God's favor. In fact, verse 19, chapter 15, it says, there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. And this takes us to chapter 16. I want you to turn to chapter 16. I want us to pick up our reading with verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. Now, I want us to pause, okay? Are you noticing a little bit difference between, between chapter 14 and chapter 16? Just, just think about this. Because in chapter 14, there's an enemy that comes against them and it's an overwhelming force. What, what does Asa do there? Cries out to the Lord. In, in, in chapter, th- th- this, is, this is now 26 years after that, that occasion, we have chapter 16. Another great army comes against him. What does he do here? He does not cry out to the Lord. What does he do? He says, hey, you know what? I'm gonna take gold. and so I'm actually pragmatically gonna figure out the solution to this. I'm, I'm going to make a contract. And, and here's the thing. He made the contract. And you're like, man, what in the world is going on here? I mean, why in the world would Asa do something like this? I mean, you've had all these years marked by peace and prosperity. You've depended on the Lord. Why in the world would you actually turn? You hit a roadblock. You forget everything. Instead of, instead of crying out to God, letting God move, you take matters in your own hands. Let's, let's do this. Why in the world would you do this? Well, I, I would, let's just be honest. If you read the rest of this account in chapter 16, in the eyes of the world, what he did was, was successful. You would think in, in reading chapter 16 that his pragmatism, his, his, eff, you know, his own efforts, him, I'm gonna figure this out, that they were rewarded. But when you look at what took place in which Syria, they did, they broke their contract with Israel. They instead attacked Israel and stopped Baasha's attack against the southern kingdom. They left and went home. You would think that, hey man, this worked. Let's celebrate, let's throw a party. But what I want us to understand is that what sometimes is applauded in the eyes of the world is a stench when it comes to God. Because what God did was he sent him, again, he sent him a prophet. For after the first battle, he sent him a prophet. After the second battle, he sent him a prophet. Two totally different messages. This time when the prophet showed up, and we, we see this in verse seven, God calls out Asa and says, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. We're not the Ethiopian, he takes him back, 26 years. We're not the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen. Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. And, and, and here's where we get to where we find out what is God looking for? God lets us know when through the prophet, he says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. He goes on to say, you have done foolishly in this and for, 
from now on, you will have wars. And I'm going to tell you, you read the rest of, of chapter 16, the rest of the reign of Asa, it's not a pretty picture. It's, it's not at all. In fact, here's, here's the final words. He, he, he gets mad at the prophet, throws the prophet in prison for telling, telling him what God wanted him to hear. He began to inflict cruelty on, on other people, other Jews that served him. He ended up getting a disease. In fact, the last words we hear about him in verse 12, it says, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord. And you're like, what in the world? How can a person go from chapter 15 and, and in, in year 10 and year 11 of, of his reign where his heart is wholly true to the Lord, how can you get to 26 years later, everything going downhill? What happened here? I'll tell you what happened. His heart was turned. His heart was turned. And I, I want to share this morning again. I'm not, like if you're, if you're here and you're not an, a, a believer, first of all, I love the fact that you're here. And so I hope you keep coming back. And I just, I, I love the fact that you're here. And I'm, honestly, I'm, I've, I've been praying for those that, that, that attend here that you're not a believer. Man, first of all, we love you regardless. Glad you're here. But this is not a message for you, though. I believe God can challenge you and speak to you. I pray that he will. But primarily, I want to talk to those that attend Grace who are believers, you have been saved. I, I wanna ask us this interesting question. Could it be the 36th year? Because in the 36th year, the fruit of something that probably happened earlier, because we don't know when and how it happened, we see this, Asa's heart was turned, and as a result of the shifting of his heart, there was a shifting of his faith. And in the shifting of his faith, he forsook God. And for the next few minutes, I want to talk about the necessity for the Christian of a well-kept, spiritually formed heart. Now, what I want to talk about, it's going to be necessary to, to define just a few terms, so I want you to hang with me for just, for just a little bit. Because when we talk about the heart, I'm not sure that we're always talking about the same thing. Like, like if you got your girlfriend or boyfriend or, or spouse or whatever, you, you know, you, you said, get them that card for Valentine's Day. I love you with all my heart. What do you mean by that? I love you with all my heart. Like, like, like you have this emotion. I, you, I think if we took 10 different people and I, you didn't hear the other answers and I, I just, I asked, what, what is it? What's, when you talk about the heart, what are you talking about? we would probably get some variation in our, in our answers. So today, I want, I want, I want to come back and, and the, the definition of heart is not just the physical organ that we have. I want, to, I want, to use, I want us to understand heart as it's used in the Old Testament and, and, and also in the New Testament. If you study the Jewish, uh, Jewish writings and, and you study the Old Testament, when we speak of the heart, I want you to write this down. Here's the definition of the heart. The heart is where decisions or choices Choices are made for the whole person. The heart is where decisions or choices are made for the whole person. In fact, it's interesting because it's, it's a term that's also used uh, synonymously with the will. The heart and the will uh, in scripture, you, you'll, you'll see at times the same word used to, uh, and, and it's, it's translated sometimes will, sometimes, sometimes heart. Now, Let's talk a little bit about choice because we're, we're, we're talking about this, talking about the will. Choice really is the exercise of the will. It's the God-given capacity that we have to decide, 
to create things or, or plan events that, that wouldn't otherwise be. I mean, we make choices every single day. Like, like some of you made the choice to get out of bed. That's great. You're here. You, you like, like, like some of you don't even think about it. There are some choices we make that are just automatic. You brush your teeth. We thank you. You put on deodorant. The person sitting next to you thanks you. We, I just take my kids out. We, we do this thing when our kids turn 13. We take them out. We just have, it's kind of like this big ceremony. Hey, you're, you're not a little kid anymore. Uh, you're growing up. I just had this with my son, Cole. Uh, he turned 13. We went out. Indian Creek Steakhouse, man. We just, we ate it up. And, and, and we just have, you know, some talk. You know, here's what, it, here's what the expectations are. You're moving from, from being a boy to a young man and, you know, go, go through all of that. Well, one of the things I told him, we were just talking about some practical expectations. I said, dude, I expect you to take a shower every single day. I don't think it's too much to ask. I, I brush your teeth every single day. Wear deodorant every single day. And he's like, well, what, what if... What if I'm not gonna leave the house that day? I'm like, you're with me, wear deodorant. <laughs> like, like we, but you know, it's, it's funny, we make these choices. Like you, you made a decision to come to church today. You, you made a decision. We, we make a lot of decisions. Like right now, I'm talking and you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're trying to decide where you're gonna eat after we get done. Listen, we all make choices. And it's literally, God has given us this ability to choose. There is, it's really choice is this exercise of freedom. We have been given this, this space and power by God, listen, to do good or evil. And, and I'm not talking, this message is not about sin, but, but, but I do want to talk about this because there is an exercise of the will that leads to, that, that, that is sin, right? So, so let me just say this, like just thinking of sin, the thought occurs to you, that's, that is not sin. Temptation to sin is not sin, but there is an inner yes that happens as they would say, within the heart, that is sin. There's an inner, we always think that sin are our acts. Can I tell you that, that sin is within before it is without? In fact, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter five through seven, where he raises the bar in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it's not just like, like you, you think, you think that, that uh, you know, lust is this to act on lust. He said, I tell you, if, if you even look on someone to lust, you've, you've already committed, the, there's a sin that's happened. It's an inner yes to sin. This is where sin begins. We have the freedom to choose. Now, here's the thing we gotta know about free will. Humans, we do not have absolute free will. Our will is always limited by God's sovereign purposes. There, there is absolutely no way, there is no way that we are going, like, like I'm gonna pick on Matt, he's sitting here on the front row, so you get sitting on the front row. Let's just say Matt, Matt does something. There is never a time that, that God's like, oh, Matt has messed up all of my plans for all eternity. Why did you do that, Matt? We got to start all over here. No, there's never a time that happens. Now, Matt might make a ter terrible decision or whatever, a good decision, but, but our, our, our free will is always limited by God's sovereignty. If we had absolute free will, we would be God. We're not God. But the reality is we're still responsible for the will that we've been given. There is a choice that, that, we, have, that we have been given. And so our will is limited by God's sovereign purposes, our will is limited by circumstances beyond our control. 
Um, many times our will is, is limited by, for instance, laws of nature. Like, you're like, I think I'm going to jump off the roof and fly. You can make that decision, but you're not going to fly. And don't ask me how I know this. But anyway, the, uh, the, the, point, is, the, the point is this. There is, there is this, this ability we've been given, the, the heart, the, the, the will. This is where we make these decisions, these choices. Now, this is why it's really important. This is why we started with talking about the renewal, the transformation of our mind. Don't be conformed to the world, Paul wrote, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your, be renewed. Your thoughts and feelings must be renewed. Why is that the case? Transformation. It begins with the mind. Repentance at its most basic level refers to a changing of the mind. But here's the thing, this changing of the mind impacts the heart and it actually impacts the changing of the will. And so the result of the, the, of the transformation of the heart and the, the mind is the development of something we call character. Character is this, this internal overall structure of, of self. It's, it's who we really are. So, you know, the prophet's saying, okay, so the, the, the eyes of, of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Now catch this. He didn't say to those whose hearts are perfect before them, before him. There's a difference between perfection and blamelessness. There is no one in this room who is perfect. I hate to break it to you. Like, like you thought coming in like, hey, dude, I got to figure out I'm perfect. No, you're not. I don't care what your girlfriend told you. You are not perfect. Like, like nobody here is perfect, right? So there's, there's no such thing as a perfect heart. This is why our hearts need to be kept. Our hearts need to be transformed. There is a renewing that must be continued, but there is a transformation that God does even in our hearts. Character starts in the heart before it reveals itself in the hands. This inner character shows up externally. Character results in patterns of behavior and results in many actions becoming automatic. Um, let, me, let me use this example. I, th this was, I don't know, a few years ago. I, I went over, uh, I was running late, and coming from a meeting, didn't have time to grab lunch. And so I was off the boulevard and pulled into McDonald's, like to grab a hamburger. And you're like, you eat McDonald's? Yes, I do. And like everybody tries to act like they don't eat at McDonald's. That is just, you bunch of liars. Because listen, they're selling three billion hamburgers. Somebody is buying McDonald's hamburgers. So I pulled, into, I pulled in there. So I pulled in from, uh, from third. You know how it splits there? If you're here in Nampa, you know how it splits. You got second. And, and you can enter the part, McDonald's parking lot from second or third. I enter from third and, and I'm pulling up. And I'm not paying close attention, and I accidentally cut off this SUV that has pulled into the drive-through from second. And dude, I am telling you right now, they slammed on the horn, they rolled down their window and started screaming at me. When I rolled down their window, they knew me. One of the greatest moments of my life, man. I mean, I didn't even have to say anything. All I said was, oh, I am so sorry. Dude, when you, when you like, your pastor, it is like the best, man. <laughs> so like, I'm in front of them. By the time I get to the window, they've already texted me this long apology. I am so sorry. I didn't know it was you. And I'm like, dude, you should do it for everybody, not just your pastor. But it was, it was the funniest thing. But, but here, my point was this. In that instant, you get cut off your character. 
Your character shows itself. And by the way, just so you know, I'm not dogging on them. I've been cut off and I've been a moron myself. All right? I, I, I will raise my hand. But he, here, here's the thing. The, the, the character flows from the heart. There, the, this is why we must be transformed. This is why we, we ask for the creation of a clean heart. This is why the heart, our, our heart of stone must be taken out and a heart of flesh be put in. This is why the eyes of our heart must be open. We need this transformation because it has everything to do with who we are. The character is who we really are. Not, not just who we are in front of people when we know that we have to perform. It's who we really are. I've told my kids so many times, it, you know, competency will open doors for you, but it's character that's gonna keep you there. Character matters. That's, that's why we have all these tools, uh, you know, resumes and, and credit reports and, and character uh, references. We wanna find, in fact, I just heard, somebody was telling me that now companies, they ask for your social media handle to find out who you are. And like some of you are like, I am never getting a job ever again because again, character is revealed. The good news is this, character can be changed, but our character is changed as we are changed, as our heart is, as our mind is renewed, as our heart is transformed. This is what God is doing. The old can pass away, the new can come. This is the beauty, this is the optimism, the hope of the gospel. We can be changed. But what does this look like? What is the evidence of this? Well, well uh, Jesus said in, in John eight twenty nine, he said, I seek to do the will of my Father. I seek always to do the will of my Father. We find another picture of this when, when Paul writes in, in Galatians 2.20, for I'm crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And here's what I want to, to leave with you as my, my big point, and then we're gonna break this down for the time that we have remaining. The big point is this, the Christ-like heart is marked by a single-minded and joyful devotion to God and his will to what he wants for us. Let me say that again. We'll leave it up on the screen so you can write it down. The Christ-like heart is marked by a single-minded and joyful devotion to God and his will, what he wants for us. But what we see in the account of King Asa is that there are also enemies that threaten growth and holiness because just as our hearts can be transformed and our character transformed, also our character can be deformed that leads to the unthinkable and that's literally turning away from God. And I used to think that turning away from God was just, you, you do this terrible big sin and, and you turn away from God and, and you're not dependent upon him, following him or anything like that. But no, that turning doesn't, go, doesn't come from nowhere. No, the, the road to forsaking has different mile markers such as complacency, self-importance, self-reliance, where it's all about me. Somewhere, somehow, in those 26 years, something started. It started from within. It manifested itself where Asa, his heart was not wholly true to God. He actually became true to his pragmatism. It's about me. What does this look like? Could this be for me year 36? The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. God is searching the condition of our hearts. So what does God's spiritual EKG look for? I'm gonna real quick give you a few things. 
First of all, it looks for loyalty. It looks for loyalty. King Asa had a heart fully committed to God, but then he finds himself in a tight spot and something happened along the way. And what does he do? I mean, he can either lift his eyes to God and call out to the God who's delivered him from the Amorites, from the Hittites, from the mosquito bites, and everybody else. But, uh, or, or he can say, I'm gonna figure this out. I'm going to do my own thing. We know what God, we, we know what Asa did. He did not turn to God. He swore his allegiance to another king. And, and this whole thing of loyalty, it's, it's interesting because we get loyalty in almost every other relationship. For some reason, we don't always think about it so clearly or maybe with the weight that it should be given in our relationship with God. In a marriage, loyalty is to be expected. We took vows to be faithful till death do us part. And, and, and to break those vows, that's That's egregious. That's egregious. Grounds for divorce. We, we, you, know, you, you have all these people, you know, grounds for divorce, unfaithless. That's, that's disloyalty. We get this in relationships, friendships. You expect there to be loyalty. If you tell somebody, you, you bury your soul to somebody and then it gets shared everywhere else, man, there is a, you almost become cynical. You know, a person isn't cynical because they don't care. A person's cynical because they did care at one point and got burnt. And the reality is, is, is this, we, we get this whole idea of loyalty. Sometimes we miss this. I, re, I remember I had a guy, he, he came up against it. It, it, had a, it, it, it impacted his bank account. He, was, he uh, sold used cars and was part of a used car lot. I got to tell you the name of the lot. But he went here to church several years ago, came to me, and he, he was a young believer, had recently given his heart to Christ, and God was changing him. It was cool to watch him grow. And he said, said Pastor, I've got an issue. He said, my job requires me to lie every single day. And he said, I know that what I'm telling prospective customers is not true. I've, I've been told I must do this. And he said, I've been, I've been talking about how this is a struggle for me. He said, but, but my wife doesn't understand this. She's like, it's not that big of a deal. And he said, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. He said, because... If I walk away, this is when we weren't hiring, there weren't a lot of jobs here in the area, and he said, if I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then he asked, he said, what, what should I do? When I get asked that question, I normally just mirror the question, and I said, well, what should you do? And he said, I, if I'm gonna follow God, he said, I've gotta walk away from this. I'm like, man, I'm gonna be praying for you, because I said, that's a big decision, and he walked away from it. His friends did not understand. He took so much grief can I tell you, when he had to be moved to, they had to move to a different state, he took a different job there. But when he moved, he was not a man who was in turmoil, he was a man at peace with God. He, his heart was loyal, he found, and, and God has honored him since. See, if, if God takes a, it's a spiritual EKG, it's loyalty, it's placement of our treasure. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, what did he say? There your heart shall be also. Where's, where's your treasure? Because what we value is going to determine where we turn. The thoughts, I'm not going to spend a lot, of, a lot of time here, but God looks at what we're obsessing over. Jesus, Matthew 9, 4, he's, he's rebuking Pharisees, and, and he challenges them. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? There's something that's going on there. There's this obsessing with, with things and, and, and it's, 
It actually reveals who we are. The words, Matthew 12, 34, again, Jesus is talking to Pharisees. He calls them out. He said, you brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of what? The heart, the mouth speaks. And I will tell you this. We don't often know our heart. Our heart's deceptive. We can't, we can't even, uh, listen, when we are saved, God begins this work of transformation. And, and I know that he is, but it's not like automatically that, that, that it's just, I don't have to do anything else. My will is perfectly set towards him. No, we, sometimes we don't even know what we need. And that's why I made the, what I, what I love, because he also will, will see our response to the word of God, because the word of God is a two-edged sword. It pierces asunder. It lets us see who we truly are. And can I tell you that when God reveals who you are, he's not doing so to to make you feel terrible about yourself or say, well, I guess God can't love me. No, he's doing this to reveal why you need him. He's doing this to reveal what he has for you. This is who you are. I can transform you. I can change you. But it's gonna begin with our minds. It's going to move to the transformation of our heart. Interesting that after 36 years, Ace's heart drifted. And, and my question that I come back to is, is this, and, and, and I say this carefully, not judgmentally, because I don't know where you are, but my question is this, even as I've been sharing this morning, could it be that you are in year 36? It's not that, it's not in any way that, that you aren't saved, that, that you haven't started this journey, but something somewhere along the way, whether it's complacency or, or whether you've just taken the blessings of God for granted or whatever the case happens to be, or maybe it's, it's situations have happened and you're, you're overwhelmed, but whatever the case happens to be, your allegiance has shifted. Your heart has drifted. Church, when I look at Asa's life, there are, man, it's, it's, it's crazy. There are these 35 years that are marked by this heart that is dedicated to God, but the last six years, I don't want that for my life. I don't want that for my family. I don't want it for you, your family. I don't want it for our church. What I want church is to be revived, to, to to be made holy, to, to respond to what God has called us to. He's gonna finish the one work one day that he started, but along the way, we're to pursue what he's called us to. It's God who's doing the work within, but we agree with him. That's what I want, not a heart that drifts, but a heart that commits. What does this look like? Where does it happen? We need a heart renovation, and, and church, listen to me. It's God who does the work of renovation. It's God who does the work from the inside out. But church, we have a part to play. And I'm gonna give us four things just as, as we leave this morning. You can write these down very quickly. Number one, it begins with surrender. It begins with surrender. It begins with us raising the white flag. I, and this is where we don't, always, we don't even like God's will. But instead of fighting him, we say, God, I surrender. This moves to the second thing. This is abandonment. Abandonment. What is abandonment? What's the difference between surrender and abandonment? I believe that, man, as, as, as grace and wisdom prevails in the heart of believers, as God is continuing to work, we move to a point of, of letting go, of not, of, of not just letting go and saying, God, I, I surrender, but, but even letting go of, of us being right. And, and God, and, and just like, oh, I wish God wouldn't do this. It's, it's letting go. It's, you know, Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. We've, we hear those words, but we sometimes put that, we flip it around and we think what that means is, 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 is that as the Lord gives me the desires of my heart that I'm gonna delight myself in him. But that's not the way it goes because what God is doing, he is through the Holy Spirit, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we submit ourselves to him. This is what he does. This is the work of the Lord who is spirit. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3. This is a beautiful thing. And as our heart, as our heart, our will are aligned with his heart, his will. What we find is that we're not delighting in what we used to delight in. We're delighting in what he delights in. And as we delight in him, literally our desires have become the desires that he has for us. And the only way that it's possible is with God beginning this work within us and us agreeing with that work. There's surrender, there's abandonment, there's contentment. And, and, and I'm gonna say this, there's a contentment with his will, not just with him being who he is, but with his sovereign purposes being lived out. And, and this is hard. Uh, 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 okay. I'm not going to run from this. There are some of you that are suffering greatly because of the evil of someone else. And you're like, how in the world can I be content in this? Some of you are facing a physical problem. It could be cancer. It could be this, it could be that. Maybe you've gone through loss you cannot possibly see how God could be moving here. And, and, and while, you, man, you, you're not running from God, man, there, there is a hurt. There's a hurt with God. And you're like, God maybe let me down. How can you be content even in painful seasons? And church, I don't, I, I don't have like this fix-all, like this magic band-aid that's gonna make everything go away. I like how Timothy Keller puts it this, put it though. He said, if we knew what God knows, we would understand and submit to what God does. And I think that there is a contentment, in the, and this is why Paul could write in, in Philippians, rejoice again, I say rejoice, while he's chained to a Roman guard in a, in a Roman prison, knowing that he's gonna be, that it looks like he's gonna be executed, there's a good possibility of that, that he could write to them, rejoice, and again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious for nothing, but, but he proceeds it by saying, the Lord is near. That's the only way this happens. And, and church, again, this does not happen because we choose contentment, it's be, it happens because we choose Christ. And it's this pursuit of Christ that allows us to, to, to understand a contentment that is not circumstantial, but that is based on the character of who God is. It's surrender, abandonment, contentment. The last thing is participation. Instead of fighting God, doubting God, holding out on God, we intentionally and energetically begin to participate in God's will. Instead of saying, okay, I'm gonna, you pull me, you take me, we actually say, I'll go where you want me to go. Like that old song says, I'll go where you want me to go. Wherever, I'll go. I'm here. Th th this is where it begins. This is, th th these, are, these are ways that, that we can be part of, of listening, responding to the word, of, of, of responding to the work that Christ is doing. Parts of keeping from this heart, the changing, the drifting of the heart. You see, we must understand the necessity of a well-kept spiritually formed heart. It matters. Several years ago, in fact, it was probably eight or nine years ago, I hadn't been here at, at Grace Long as pastor. In fact, it was before we had, uh, we used to have a wall here in the middle. It's before we'd done the renovation. And so we just had, this side was the, was the sanctuary. As I was coming to the end of my message, there was a, a lot of chaos and people running in and out and I'm like, what is going on? And so 
I, I could tell something had happened out in our lobby area. And so I, I prayed to end the service. And while I was praying to close the service, Brian Taylor, who was associate pastor at the time, came up to me. He said, hey, Keith, he said, somebody's had a heart attack out in the lobby. He said, can you have people exit a different way? And so I still have my mic. I, I said, hey, guys, we've had, we've had an accident. Can you just exit out through uh, another way? And so people responded. And so after that was done, I just, I walked out there see what was going on. And a person who I knew was, was laying on the ground. And even while I was, I, I was on my way there, I heard the sirens. It was the oncoming ambulance. And I, I walked out about the same time that the ambulance stopped. I saw the three EMTs jump out. We had had, you know, nurses and, and people here helping, but they, but they couldn't, they, they needed the equipment. And so I saw the EMTs, they came rushing in. And it was interesting because when they came in, he's laying there. They didn't go, oh, hey, hey, you know what? His tie is crooked. Let's go ahead and fix that. Or a guy was like, hey, uh, can you run out to the ambulance and, and get me some hair gel? His hair's a little messed up. We want him looking good when we get into the hospital. No, they, they didn't worry about all the outward things. I watched those, those EMTs. They went right for the problem. The issue was the heart. And they dealt with what the problem was, got him stabilized, got him in the ambulance. Long story short, everything turned out great. But the reality was, because he had EMTs that knew what to do and what was important, he made it. I think of that little story. Guys, a lot of times we look at all the outside, we try to put in the hair gel, we straighten the tie, we wanna look good, but that's not it. Did you know that God is not, he's concerned about your heart before he's concerned about your hands? Because a heart surrendered to him will automatically result in the character that transforms what takes place with the hands. It all begins with the heart. And so Father, as we close our time here this morning, I'm thankful for the good work that you are doing. I thank you for how you are changing your people. Dear God, our mission is to unite people with Jesus and help them take their next steps. And God, sometimes those taking of the next steps are, are growing in holiness. You call us to something, you ask us for something, ask us to do something, you ask us to let go. God, sometimes in your faithfulness, you'll send us a prophet who will say, here's what I have against you, your heart has drifted. And God, we can either respond by shooting the prophet or we can respond with humility to your words and repent, allow our mind to be transformed, allow our heart to be transformed and God, submit to the next step that you're calling us to in this pathway to holiness. God, I believe that you're doing a work. And so God, if in your faithfulness, you have spoken to hearts even as I've spoken. Lord, I'm praying that there would not be a holding out, that there would be a surrender. God, I'm praying that that surrender would lead to abandonment, that that abandonment would lead to contentment, that contentment would lead to participation. But God, what we know it starts with surrender. And so God, I'm praying in this moment that we would surrender. Maybe there's somebody here, they've never started this journey. You don't even have their heart. There's not been a response, but God, maybe you're talking to an unbeliever and, and they're seeing their need to be transformed. I pray that you would save them today. I believe that you can do this. And so God, for the work that you've done this morning, we thank you. So God, as we leave here, may we leave committed to obey the work that you're doing within us, but also committed to walk as you've called us to walk in the light that you've given and for what you're going to do in your people. We'll thank you for this. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people said.
Amen. It's so good to have you here this morning. I, I, let me just say this. I'm going to stay up here in the front. If, 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 if God's challenged you in some way, you just want to talk or whatever, I can pray with you. Man, I'm going to be up here to pray with you. But don't forget, tonight we have our annual business meeting. Hopefully you can make it. Go with God. He's not through with you. If you're not dead, God's not done. Be thankful for that. We'll see you next week. <laughs>